If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture today is Genesis 32, so it's quite a long section, so if you sense the need to sit down, please do so. This can be found in your worship folders or on page 27 of your pew Bible. Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Maenaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him in the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him when the present that goes ahead of me, with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip 
was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew on the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Please be seated. Well, now you need to stand for another 10 minutes. Well done. That was very good. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I was down on Thursday night at an InterVarsity large group at a place called, in Indiana, called Terre Haute, Terre Haute. I don't know. I get so confused around here. Is it Des Moines or Des Moines? Is it Day Plain or Des Plains? Uh, is it Illinois or Illinois? I'm really not sure. Sorry. Um, Anyway, it's good to be with you, and um, as we uh, look at this passage, and you've had it read out, we're going to go through it. It's easily broken down to two sections, verses 1 through to 23 and 24 to the end. And I want to begin uh, this morning with a morning prayer for us. Here it is. So far today, God, I have done all right. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, and I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent, and I haven't told anyone to mind their own business or stay out of mine. I'm really glad with how I'm doing so far this morning, God, but in a moment, I'm going to have to get out of bed. (laughs) And then I'm going to really need your help. Well, Jacob really needed God's help. You'll remember the story that's been set up so far in the book of Genesis. Jacob and Esau have been long in conflict, and Jacob is now returning home. And the last thing he knew about Esau was that Esau had vowed to kill him. As far as Jacob knows then, the same sort of intention is in Esau's mind. And when Jacob hears that Esau has 400 men with him, he assumes the violence that he has been conceiving in his mind has now given birth to military campaign. Now, at the backdrop to all of this, as we're going through the book of Genesis, is this issue of blessing. Esau had wanted Isaac's blessing, Jacob had connived and deceived in order to get Isaac's blessing. God, in Genesis chapter 1, made the whole universe, we're told, and then we are told he announced blessing upon humanity. He blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, 
That is, God is the king, and you, humans, made in my image, that is, you are to reflect my rule, my good rule, in how you go out into the whole world and represent my good rule as you extend my kingdom. He blessed them, be fruitful and multiply. But you know the story in Genesis, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and so entered into the world, not a blessing but a curse. Genesis chapter 3 describes the curse that enters into the world. God has a plan and Genesis chapter 12 that we looked at a few weeks ago, God gathers a new people around this man Abraham and announces blessing through him to all nations. The gospel to all nations, this blessing. Now, in chapters 27 and on, there's a fight over the blessing. What is this blessing going to be like? Is it purely a human, material, selfish kind of blessing? And who's going to get it? Now, when we use the word blessing, we have all sorts of different ideas in our mind these days about what it means to be, quote-unquote, blessed. And so as we begin to fill in the category of being recipients, vessels, people ready to receive God's blessing, we need to be sure that we understand what it means to be blessed. And so as the story began in Genesis 1, Genesis 3, curse enters, God, Abraham, Genesis 12, now this fight over blessing with Jacob and Esau, we need to look ahead to have our minds filled with the right category about blessing to how Jesus himself described the blessing that would come through himself as the fulfillment to these promises so long ago announced. So we come to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and Jesus has a series of blessings, blessed are you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that series of blessings is framed around the kingdom of heaven at the beginning and the kingdom of heaven at the end. That is the rule of God that was perfect in Genesis chapter 1, rebelled against in Genesis chapter 3, reinstituted for God's work in the person of Abraham. Now fight over it in the chapter that we're looking at this morning. Jesus defines as being recipients of the kingdom of heaven. That is the rule of God, a right relationship, number one, with the king. And then that kingdom extended for all eternity. Where there will be one day not just a spiritual relationship with God, but a fulfilled promise of the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness that will be physical, That we, in right relationship with God, if we are in right relationship with God, will be inheritors of that blessing. So this fight, this battle over the blessing is no small thing. It is to define what it means to be blessed. Is it selfish? Getting what I want? Controlling? Making sure someone else doesn't get it, but I get it? Or is it the blessing of God that goes to all nations, ultimately through Christ, that will be fulfilled when he returns? Blessing. Now, as I say, this passage is simply divided in two sections. The one is Jacob trying to figure out how to appease his brother, and the other is rather mysterious that we'll look at in just a moment. The first part of it, Jacob is really figuring out how he can possibly come up with, at a human level, a way to reconcile with his brother. 
how we need that sort of shrewd wisdom today. Many of you will know, of course, that I'm from London. I wasn't born in Texas. And in London recently, there's been a new terrorist attack. I actually proposed to my wife right across from where that terrorist attack took place. We know all about such things today. We live in a world where human is at war with human. And our world leaders are trying to find ways to either defeat or come up with appeasement, some way to find peace. But it isn't just global, is it? It's also national and ecclesial, even in the church. You would have to have been entirely asleep over the last few years, four or five years or so, to have not notice that there's been a renewed racial tension in America. Where is the solution to that? Now, Jacob comes up with one tactic, which I think is shrewd and wise and certainly acceptable. That is, he offers a peace gift, a peace offering. Now, you and I perhaps would not be particularly pleased to receive 15 cows or whatever it is. But at the time, it was a significant gift. I'm minded of the story of a 19th century pastor, a man called Pastor Jones. In his congregation, there was a particular individual who was renowned for having a bad temper. He was constantly at war with everyone in the congregation. Uh, For one reason or another, whether it was psychological, spiritual, he was one of those people who was always looking for a fight. He would turn every handshake into a fist if he could. Well, this individual became sick, really seriously ill. And because someone like that doesn't have many friends, and when they get sick, not many visit them. And this pastor, who had received his fair share of accusations and completely unfounded attacks from this individual, went to visit him at his sickbed. Of course, it became known that he had gone. When he sat down next to him, he got out of his bag a simple orange and started to peel it and then handed this ill-tempered man with his own hand a piece of orange. He took it. He gave him another and fed him one by one the pieces of the orange. Later on, someone in his congregation found that he'd gone to visit this famous battler, an angry man, and been so sort of gentle with him and not taking the opportunity to rebuke him in his sickness. And he was asked why he did this. Pastor Jones said the following, I have found that when a man suffers from ill temper, an orange will do him a lot of good. And at any rate, he said, It does me a lot of good to give it to him. Yeah, there is a simple human strategy 
of peacemaking. Certainly in the church, and we'll leave all the governmental challenges up to those who are called to exercise government and pray for them and pray they're given wisdom. But among Christian brothers and sisters, the peace offering, the gift, the orange. Yeah, that is a good strategy, and he's nowhere rebuked for doing it. As far as I can see in the Bible, he gives him 15 cows and 10 oxen and 3 donkeys. You know, go ahead. But there's more at work here than that. Underneath this apparent battle between Jacob and Esau is a different kind of battle. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Very famously, a long time ago, G.K. Chesterton was asked to reply to a series of letters that were taking place in the Times about what is wrong with the world. And there have been all sorts of sophisticated answers given. G.K. Chesterton replied simply like this of one little letter in the Times of London this way. Dear sir, what is the problem with the world? Question mark. I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so Jacob does not simply give gifts. He is initiated. God initiates a wrestling with him. Now this is a mysterious passage. And when I come across a mysterious passage, I look far and wide for people who are wiser than me to help me understand it. I hope you do the same. And this is what Jonathan Edwards said about the passage, and it has shaped my view on it. I'm going to read it to you. It's very profound. Edwards said this, When God has a design of bestowing blessing on persons in answer to prayer, he stirs them up to be earnest in seeking. And oftentimes, for a while, he seems not to hear or regard their request, but on the contrary, seems to oppose and resist them, as the angel seems to strive against Jacob in the wrestle. Which is for the trial of person's resolution, constancy, and perseverance in the seeking of the blessing. Let me break that down to you in one non-18th century sentence. When God desires to bless a person in answer to his or her prayers, God will often stir that person to passionate seeking in prayer, even appearing to resist them, so that that person might, through trials become a fit vessel to receive the blessing. Or Jesus put it most simply like this. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. And Jacob here must become Israel. And his hip is touched and his personality is reshaped 
so that he becomes a fit recipient of the blessing, of the kingdom of heaven, the right relationship with God, and the eternal kingdom to come. Well, let me put it in tech speak today. Your computer hardware must also be updated to run the new software of the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. So in all the mysteriousness of the sovereignty of God and the wrestling match that's going on here, God has designed this wrestle to reshape us, to be fit recipients of the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll get a hundred emails if I don't try to dive into some of the mysteriousness, so let me do that for a moment. There are mysteries to this text sufficient to trouble the unsleeping mind of a thousand scholars. Who was this man who wrestled with Jacob? If he was God, how was it that Jacob overcame him? What is the answer? The answer seems to me to be this. Jacob saw God face to face, Peniel, he saw the face of God, Jacob saw God face to face, but was not immediately consumed by seeing God's infinite holiness, because the face of God that he saw was the pre-incarnate face of the Son of God. He wrestled with Christ. Yet, someone might still ask, why was it that Jacob was enabled, uh, able to have victory over God? Well, my answer would be that in some way God then allowed him to win. But then someone would say, was the battle a mere show, a charade, not real? And that seems not to give fair representation of the drama of the text. While these mysteries and others can fill our minds for a thousand upon thousands of years and we will have eternity to explore them if we are fit recipients of the kingdom of heaven when we meet Jacob and we can ask him ourselves what it was like to wrestle with God. Except, of course, many of us already know. Surely I am not alone in wrestling for my children. There are men and women here who wrestle for their relationship with their spouse, for their careers. Jacob and Esau had a war with each other, but really it was God that Jacob was at war with. And like a father who has a son who loves to wrestle, God gets with Jacob all sweaty and physical. And lets him pin him down. And then in a moment of fatherly sovereignty, flips on his back and touches his hip. 
Not just to show him who really is boss, but to reshape his personality and his character, which the physical reshaping would be a symbol of to remind him henceforth so that he could be a new wineskin for new wine, new hardware for new software, a fit vessel for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know prayer is hard, isn't it? We can be so pious about prayer. If you ever want to bring someone down a uh, level or two in how they're feeling about their spirituality, just ask about their prayer life. That will usually do it. Like the person who said at the beginning of uh, one year, he said, Lord, give me a fat bank account this year and a fit body and make sure you get it the right way around, not like last year. Or the other person who rather unknowingly overheard, was overheard to pray, Lord, I really pray, Lord, would you please give me patience? I'm such an impatient man. Would you give me patience and would you do it now? But in all this wrestling, God uses it to reshape us. J.H. Jowett said this, All vital praying makes a drain on a man's vitality. True intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. E.M. Bounds, one of the most famous authors on prayer, describing spiritual giants, those who had massively been used by God to advance the kingdom of heaven, he said this about them. They were not leaders because of brilliancy of thought, not because they were exhaustless in resources, not because of their magnificent culture or their native gifts or intellectual capabilities, but because by the power of prayer they could command and control the power of God, command the power of God, and then we enter into the mystery. For no human can command the power of God. And yet the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And God in his sovereignty allows us to be caught up into his work through prayer. And stirs us up to be earnest in the seeking of it. So that in that wrestling we might be reshaped to be fit receptacles for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. One of the great heroes of Cottage Church has inspired uh, many of our commitments to Bible teaching and the way we support Bible teaching all around the world. Um, One of those great heroes was the um, preacher Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was uh, a man very committed to Bible teaching, and he trained many younger pastors and all this sort of thing, and he's become a model for many of us. Charles Simeon was a pastor but also a professor at Cambridge University, King's College. 
And where his rooms are, we still know where they are. You can see them. They're, they're right up high. There's a court, and they're on the corner of this court. The, the, high buildings, probably higher than the, the top of the balcony here. And he had a small set of rooms up there with two or three, I think it's two, maybe three, small windows overlooking a, a, a narrow parapet that went around the court and allowed you, if you wanted, to fix a roof, you could get up there. Charles Simeon, with his friends, determined that he would get up early every morning to pray. He had a rather extravagant way for a sort of 18th century alarm clock to get him out of bed. Early every morning, he would get out of bed, and he would open the window. They weren't designed for someone to crawl out, but he would open the window, and on this narrow parapet, he could be seeing every morning, earnestly seeking God in prayer for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven in Cambridge and around the world. Now, my goal this morning through this word is twofold. One is that we, in experience, we would increasingly, perhaps for some dramatically, this moment be transformed from Jacob to Israel to be fit receptacles for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, number one. Number two, that we as a church, a church which is a praying church, Rochelle and I have never felt more prayed for than we do here. We are a praying church. I know that's the experience of many of us. We are a praying church. But that we would also be a church of prayer warriors. That God in his sovereignty would stir us up to earnestly seek the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. In this town, Wheaton, that we would be more and more a light to the nations. In this city, Chicago, and through all our missionaries around the world. Prayer. Warriors. Of course, none of us do that perfectly. There is a wrestling with God that uh, is beyond us and which Jacob is only a sign of. There is a greater and better Jacob who also wrestled not just with God but as God in that garden of Gethsemane. He stood in the place of the wrath of our Esau's, the people we have needlessly offended by our sins, the sins that rise up against us and accuse us before a holy God, a greater, better Jacob, who took the blame for all our deceptions, for the Jacob in each of us, the true Son of God whose side and hands and body was crucified, not just his hip, that we might receive the eternal blessing that God had originally designed for his creation and that is finally and fully victorious at the foot of the cross. Let us pray together. Make me a captive, Lord.
and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thy arms, and strong shall be my hand. Perhaps you have uh, someone or some group of people. Perhaps a different race or color from you. Perhaps a different class than you. Perhaps a physical brother or father or mother. Perhaps someone in this church that you are in conflict with. Would you take this moment to uh, seek God for wisdom, to be an agent of reconciliation as Jacob was with his peace offerings? But would you also, this moment, wrestle with God? Not let him go unless he bless you. That is, reshape you into being a fit receptacle for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. That you might be filled with all the love of God, that you may be an ambassador for that love to those around you. Would you wrestle with God for that? Lord, as a church, I ask that you would increasingly renew us, reshape us, that we would increasingly be, as it were, an Israel, wrestling with you in prayer, not out of anxiety and angst and trauma, but as a loving, secure relationship, so increasingly to be fit vessels for the blessing of the kingdom of heaven that we might be ambassadors of that loving king to one another and to the world around. Lord, you are so faithful. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.